I'm pretty excited. So it's uh, February 8th, 2017. Our message tonight is called The Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. As we get into that message, I want to be vulnerable with you for a minute because you're my family. And I just want to talk to you about what's on the board and start in Judges 16. Say there when you were there. So at this point, uh, the Stevens family has gone to well over 30 countries doing missions work. Uh, almost all of them with you. And we have seen people get out of wheelchairs. Tumors fall off of people. A little boy whose eye was so full of infection when Peyton prayed for him and then cleared up immediately. In the last couple years, we prayed for and saw someone dead with no pulse come back to life. And yet I find myself on the precipice of another trip and I have this anxiety that I'm driving from me. I know that the Lord was with us when we started the church. I know that the Lord was with me when we started a marriage. I know that the Lord was with me when we had children. And yet I am facing having children again. Starting churches again. Going on a mission trip again. And I find myself praying what Samson prayed. In Judges 16 verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. This man was chained in the house of a foreign god, brought out to perform. And his prayer was, one more time, Lord. And I find myself crying out to the Lord, one more time. I'm telling you this because some of you in here are bearing chains tonight. You are scared that you are trapped in a position that you can't get out of. Despair has crept up upon you. And is trying to overrun your faith. I'm encouraging you to join with me. And say one more time Lord. One more time mighty God. Would you strengthen me. And I can hear the spirit of the sovereign God saying. Yes son. Yes I will strengthen you again. You set your face to my will. And my wind will be at your back. When we get to Indonesia. It will be with the power of the Spirit of God. When we go to Romania, it will be because the Spirit has led our steps in that direction. When we are on the border of Syria and Turkey, it will not be by strength, nor by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. When we set foot in Jerusalem, it will be because we have the eyes of the Spirit and are walking in His ways. When we visit our brothers in Singapore and Malaysia, it will because, be because the Spirit has said yes and amen. I wanted to talk to you tonight about the devil and the deep blue sea. Is that okay with you? 
You may be vaguely familiar with it. This is an idiom that's falling out of the English language. It basically means that you are trapped between two very problematic uh, situations. Kind of like in Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian is on the road and he sees Apollyon ahead of him and he doesn't want to move forward. But when he considers turning and going the other way, he remembers he has no armor on his backside. And that's not desirable either. He's trapped between the devil and the deep blue sea. Neither option looks appealing, and yet he has to make a choice. How many of you have heard of the Beatles? Wow. Even in the YouTube generation. My son mocked a George Harrison song earlier today. Said that the guy couldn't play the uh, musical instrument that was featured in the song few hundred million records, he'll get there. In 2002, he covered a song called The Devil in the Deep Blue Sea. It was about his great love for a woman. And as the old saying goes, he couldn't live with her and he couldn't live without her. He was trapped between two undesirable choices. Maybe one of the things that we ought to look at tonight as we get into this message is what kind of faith it is going to take for the predicament that we find ourselves in as believers. Would that be okay with you? How many of you have heard of activated charcoal? If you've been in my house, you've seen giant air purifiers everywhere. This is because those that do not like cigars love air purifiers. (laughs) Activated charcoal. You take a coconut shell, usually, or a lump of coal. Say lump of coal. And you heat it to create a char. This char is then activated in a furnace. The temperatures have to reach 17 to 1800 degrees. And then steam is used in the absence of oxygen. This does something on a chemical level. It begins to strip layers of carbon atoms off. Allowing the pores in the charcoal to expand, to widen, and it leaves behind a carbon skeleton. In other words, it vastly increases the surface area of the carbon. What is interesting is that you start with three pounds of charcoal. And when you put it through the process, you end up with only one pound of activated charcoal. This is truly the less is more principle. You can do more with one pound of activated charcoal than you can do with three pounds of inactive charcoal. Activated charcoal is used in almost every air purifier, every water purifier. It's even used to treat overdoses. You can put it into poisonous situations and end up with usable air, drinkable water, or even life from near death situations. I don't want to talk about charcoal tonight. I wouldn't waste your time with charcoal talk. I want to talk to you about how to activate your faith. If one pound of activated charcoal is more effective than three pounds of regular charcoal, then you might say with some confidence that one Christian with an activated faith outpaces three with internal, dormant, actionless faith. 
You can put a Christian with activated faith into poisonous situations and end up with the wind of the spirit, drinkable waters of life, and even life from death. Do you want to activate your faith tonight? Let's turn to Exodus 13. Say there when you were there. Oh, the little girls beat all of the men in the church to Exodus 13. A young lady, a native of interior Mexico, recently told us she is sick of hearing people pray at women's conferences. I'm a daughter of the king. I'm a princess of the most high. She said, where is JL? Who's going to pick up the hammer and the stake and defend their home? I want to tell you that a little girl at Life Changing Ministries with activated faith might be worth any three men in another church with dormant, inactive, pansy faith. Exodus 13, starting in verse 17. We're going to dispel a few notions to be able to talk about truly activated faith. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not, say God did not, God did not lead them on the shorter road. I'm sorry, did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. God is not interested in the expedient. His preference is not for the short and easy way. He wants to put you into the furnace that will activate your faith. He has allowed you to be in the situation that you're in right now for one reason. He wants to strip away the two-thirds that doesn't belong, put the one-third that comes out of the fire that will bring life right out of death. We're in a country that is obsessed with the shortest route possible. How can I make it to the top of the ladder? When do I get my name on the sign? This is not only not pleasing to the Lord, it puts you in a carnal kingdom rather than the kingdom of light in the Son that He loves. Tonight, let us agree that we will not attempt to alter the divine plan by taking simpler, shorter, sinful ways. Instead, we will face the furnace of affliction as the three Hebrews did in Daniel 3 knowing that the same steel is being formed in our spiritual spine as theirs. Do you want to have the kind of faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and one bad Negro had? Theirs passed through the fire and came out the other side, and somebody was with them. It was in the furnace that they found out there was a fourth man in the fire. Something happens in the furnace. Something changes inside you. Something is stripped away in your spiritual surface area, grows, and becomes useful to the Lord. Let's look at Exodus 14 in verse 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh. 
Say, I will gain glory, glory. For, myself. for myself. Who is the glory for? It's for the Almighty God. Yes. We need to come to grips with something. The hardness of our enemy, the difficulty of our task, the inherent mortal threat. These are expected in the glorious quest to gain glory for our King and our God. It is He who saved us. And He saved us by the pledge of our lost lives. It is about Him and His glory, not us and our sinful, selfish ambition. Do you want to gain glory for the Lord tonight? Then we are not going to worry about the hardness of our enemy, the difficulty of the task, or the inherent mortal threat. Lastly, before we get into activated faith, There is one more. Maybe it is the most potent of all misunderstandings from this chapter and from our lives. In Exodus 14, we need to take responsibility for a misunderstanding that is derived from the 13th verse. Are you there? Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need be still. Now you know the situation. They have been led out to a place that is between Migdal and the sea. They are hemmed in. You might say that they are trapped between the devil that is Pharaoh and the deep blue Red Sea. What a difficult situation. And how comforted are you when you're in a difficult situation and you hear, do not be afraid. Amen. Don't be afraid. We preach about it. We talk about it ten times in the book of Deuteronomy. Do not be afraid. And we say, hey, faith displaces fear. Amen. This is true. Anybody think it's not true? Then we're in 100% agreement. Secondly, he says, stand firm. Amen. What's the alternative? Stand like a wet noodle? We love it. What do we have to do? We're not going to be afraid. We're going to stand firm. What comes next? What comes next? Oh, you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Amen. Who doesn't want to see the deliverance of the the Lord? It's the last one that is so difficult. You need only... Be still. Absolutely false. Completely, teetotally a lie. Surprised? The Lord will do it all. Be still. These are not the words of an activated faith. They are misunderstood, misapplied, scripture twistings of the spiritually inactive, sickly saints overcome in their own apathy. Tonight you will find out that the scripture indeed says be still. But praise God, that is not all the scripture says. We must not be as the serpent tempting Jesus with scriptural halflings. We love the verse halves that we love. This is best understood in light of the very next verse. Will you go there with me? 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to... I thought they had to be still. Oh, man. If we've misunderstood this, what else have we misunderstood? I'm just going to stand firm. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to trust God and not move. How do you know that your paralysis is not the product of your fear? As one wise rabbi put it, Behind them was an army bristling for war. Before them was an ocean deep and impassable. They could neither advance nor retreat. They were ambushed. What could they do? Moses tried an age-old tactic. He cried out to God. But God rebuked him. Why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to journey forth. You cannot stand still. When God has told you to journey on and say the Lord will do it. That is not an active faith. That is simply a lump of coal. Journey forth. But how? There was an ocean before them. God never addressed this question. And Moses never asked it. God said to journey forth and journey forth they did. That was the entire point. Don't ask questions. Don't raise doubts. If God issues a command, he will provide the means to see it through. Oh, church, what has he told you? That you said, oh, I trust him. I'm going to wait until he does it. When there is a journey, an active, physically active faith that is required for the journey. What then is the meaning of the phrase, be still, and why would God say it? It's Strong's number 279, harass. We have been harassed with the misunderstanding of this word. It means to quiet yourself, to be silent. There was no place for physical activity until they would reach the other inactivity, until they would reach the other side of the sea. The first thing that they had to do was not be afraid, to stand firm, to believe they would see the deliverance of the Lord, to be still referred to a quietness of spirit. Shut down those thoughts that are going on in your head. They would not become physically inactive until they were on the other side of the sea that the Lord told them to cross. They were to be quiet or to still their own fool fears, to move on majestically, to move on mightily, to move on because their monarch said, move, somebody say, move in the house of God. Move. Where are you sitting still and the Lord has told you to move? Sometimes you have to stand up, get up, go up. You have to move. Faith does not sit still and say, if the Lord wants it done, then he will do it. Faith says, because the Lord wants it done, I must do it. Activated faith begins shockingly with action. Examine yourself, saints. Has your faith been robbed of its action? Do you sit in church and nod and agree and say amen? Can you quote the verses, but you do not perform what they say? This is like sitting in a restaurant and reading the menu and saying, "Mm, it sounds good. And never having eaten the food. 
And activated faith not only places the order, but it eats the meal and dances afterward for what God has done. Exodus 14. Let us read 15 and 16 together and watch how interesting it becomes. Then the Lord said to Moshe, why are you crying out to me? You know, we don't even have Moses' prayer recorded. It doesn't matter what you're praying if he's already told you what to do. All that matters is that you do what he last told you to do. It's not even recorded. Is that strange? Why are you crying out to me? I thought maybe. I got the other pastors to look at it with me. What am I overlooking? Maybe it was that the people cried out. That's not what God said. God said, why are you crying out to me? Friends, you can sit and pray until the cows come home. And if you are sitting in disobedience, calling it faith, you are a lump of coal. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Say it one more time. Move on. on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Before Moses was allowed to raise his staff, what did the people have to do? Move on. See, we want the great man of God to do it for us. Oh, pastor, come to my house and pray for us. I can pray till the cows come home. But if you will not move when God says move, it's inappropriate and will never work. You move where God has said move and then the man of God raises the staff. And do you know what happens? We begin to have a very active faith. Do you sit in inactivity? Asking someone else to take the action that only you can take. If you don't fight for your own marriage, who will? If you don't fight for the healing of your own children, who will? If you will not fight for the spiritual health and vision of your family, then who will? Oh, church, you cannot bring them to a prophet You can't find an evangelist. You can't pay a TV personality to do for your family what God called you to do. You're going to have to activate your faith. I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret of the Christian world. We're all looking for some great man of God and they don't exist. There are only men moved greatly by a very great God. If you have begun to see someone as a great man of God, you need to go wash your eyes at the pool of Siloam. You will see men walking about as trees. They're all the same. They just either bear good fruit or bad fruit. There's no such thing as a great man of God. There never has been. This is an American invention to pick your pocket. There are only ordinary men that are moved by God because of an activated faith. Maybe we want to elect heroes because what it does to us is it allows us to become passive and not participate. We become a nation of consuming Christians rather than contributing, conquering saints. Oh, church, you can pay somebody else to do what you're supposed to do, but you'll never get the same result. It turns out that God prepared work in advance for you to do And because he prepared it for you, you're the only one that's supposed to do it. Oh, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you. 
But when faced with, I don't know when I'll be back to this pulpit, I'm overcome with the thought of, if it were the last time, what would I tell them? There is no place for physical inactivity until you reach the other side of the obstacle that is in front of you. They were to quiet and to still their own fears. That's what was to be still and quiet. Not their feet full of faith. Not their hands with weapons of righteousness in the right and the left. Notice that Moses cannot split the sea until they move on. There's an order of operations. If they won't move, then his prayer will not work. But if they move and he prays, if you have the spirit and the word, if you know both the power of God and what the word of God says, if you put feet to your faith, all things become possible. Oh, church, what do we need to do? We're going to have to move on. Movement activates faith. And it allows the impossible to become possible. There's such a great question, though. What do we need to do? Yes, but who will move first? The Talmud answers this question for the Jewish people. Whether you accept it or not, I don't know. Certainly to me, the Talmud is not scripture. It's in the category of the book of Enoch. It's interesting as all get out. It is more authoritative than the history books that are written today, but read with less veracity than the scripture. I want to suggest to you, though, that this is a likely story. The Talmud says, who would move first? A leader appeared in the person of Nashan, son of Amminadab, the tribal prince of Judah. Leading his tribal column, Nashan strode into the sea. Wading through the rising tide, the water first reached his waist, then his chest and his shoulders. At the very last moment, as the waters reached his nostrils, the Red Sea parted and the children of Israel Followed him into the sea. Nishan had an activated faith. He dared to go when others were paralyzed. He would rather drown trusting his God than live by leaning on his own arm. Oh, saint, can you hear me in the house of God? Charles Finney was the last great American evangelist. He lived from 1792 to 1875. He shook this nation for God. He was an activated Christian with activated faith. He and Nishan had similar feelings. Finney wrote the following words. Revival comes from heaven when heroic souls enter the conflict determined to win or die. Or if need be, to win and to die. When we're considering the kind of faith that it takes to see the sea split, the dead raised, the blind eyes opened. Remember that you prayed one more time. A rabbi from London named Lazar Gurkow said the following regarding Nashan. All created beings are subject to change. All created things are subject to change. Wind blows. Water flows, plants grow, even stones are subject to being worn down. 
Man, too, is subject to change. What is the only constant in our universe? The nature of our God. However the believer emulates God's unchanging character, our implicit trust, our unshakable certainty, our unchanging belief and absolute faith in God, they manifest a measure of God's immutable character. In other words, when we believe, we personify God's nature. When our ancestors approached the water with implicit faith in God, the water saw in them a measure of the divine because the created being cannot controvert its creator. The water instinctively and spontaneously receded before the personification of the divine. Can I tell you what that means? Nothing in all of the creation can stand up to a man who is full of faith in the creator. This is why water splits and iron floats and food multiplies. And yes, even the dead are raised because when you stand and imitate the character of God, the creation bows to the creator. What kind of faith have you in the house of God tonight? It didn't just recede. It actually fled. Look at Numbers 10. Say there when you were there. Now that you've discovered Numbers 10, land on verse 35. Whenever the ark set out, say set out. Setting out is like moving out. Moses said, rise up, O Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. In the law of God, it makes the point that where God's presence is manifest, the enemies of God flee. How do we manifest his presence? By an activated faith. A faith that trusts him enough to imitate his character and act on his behalf. We imitate his character and we act on his behalf. You know what God never does? Sit on his salvation. Letting his blessed assurance grow ever wider and wider until he can't squeeze himself out of the church door. God is working to this very day. He is busy. He is moving through his body on the earth. His work has been declared done from the beginning and yet remains undone as we sit here now. What excuse have we? The enemy's too great? No, where the presence of God is, the enemies will flee. So what excuse have we? Let us go to Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1. If you fully obey, say fully obey. obey. The Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands I give you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. Skip down to verse 7. The Lord will grant that enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven When you obey the Lord, when you move on His behalf, what do the enemies do? 
they flee. Not just in one direction, in seven. That's more than there are points on the compass. It's a very Hebrew way to say they will run from you perfectly. Oh, church, we have no excuse. Perhaps the way that Isaiah put it might interest you. Isaiah 2 in verse 19. Men will flee to caves in the rocks and holes in the ground from the dread of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty. When He rises to shake the earth in that day, men will throw to the rodents and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold which they made to worship. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and overhanging crags from the dread of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty when He rises to shake the earth. Look how He caps it off. Stop trusting in man who has but a breath in his nostrils. Of what account is he? Oh, church, we can say that we don't trust in man, but the man that you trust in the most is you. Your own right arm. And if your own right arm cannot split the sea, then you don't think the sea can be split. If your own right arm can't count enough pennies, then you don't think you have what it takes To get it done. And what does it take to get it done? To move when the Lord says move. That's what it takes. Praying when the Lord says move is disobedience. Does that offend your Sunday school teacher? Is that different than what grandma quilted for you? Standing, let me ask you something. If your son is standing and you say, wash the car, and he says, I just want to talk to you for a while, dad. And you say, that's great, go wash the car. Okay, dad, but let's talk. How many times are you going to do that before you discipline the boy? Well, maybe I should have asked a generation a hundred years ago. They would have known what to do. Stop trusting in man who has but a breath in his nostrils. We should be reliant upon the very Spirit of God. When Israel moved, Moses raised his staff and prayed, and a strong ruach of God came and split that sea. The very presence of God showed up where there was an activated faith. Oh, church, what can stand against the Spirit of God? Nothing but the obstinance of an unbelieving believer. That is the only thing that stands against the Spirit of God. This is why the Word says you must not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What account is a man? I don't think that we have appreciated or understood the victory that is ours at the Red Sea. I don't think that we understand the extent to which victory came. Turn with me to Psalm 114, where we will see questions asked and answered. Say, asked and answered. Psalm 114. We're going to wait on all of you. So if you have not yet announced there, we will wait on your announcement. Because we're not going to sit in church and talk about a physical action while you sit in inactivity. That would make me as guilty as it could make you. In Psalm 114, 
When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Do you know what tribe Nashon was from? Judah. It turns out that when a man moves, when God says move, especially if everybody else stays still, the one man is the man that you can see is a sanctuary for the living God. His glory rests upon the obedient shoulders of a man with activated faith. He is no longer a lump of charcoal. He is now something that brings life right out of death. He is something that takes poisonous waters and makes them clean. Dirty air and makes it breathable. His very presence manifests the divine in that situation. Oh, church, what do you want to be if not a sanctuary for the Lord? The sea looked and... The sea did not split. You've been taught in Sunday school with your felt board and the little old lady putting stickers on the felt board. That the sea split. The sea didn't split. It ran from the man of God. It saw the activated faith and it got the hell out of there. It didn't return until the faithless were standing there. Oh, come on, saint. There's not an enemy that will stand up to you. You can look poverty in the eye and say you won't beat me. You can look barrenness in the eye and say you won't hold me down. You have chain-breaking power, but you got to move on. You're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to get up. You're going to have to fight. The enemy of God will flee from you. Do you want your marriage? Fight for it. Do you want your purpose, your vision? Fight for it. It's yours. God has said it. You take it. Or you can sit back and watch the world go to hell on your watch. But I don't intend to. Most of you are at my house most nights of the week. This is not an act. It's not a charade. It's not a performance. This is how we live and it's why we are who we are. We have determined that when he says move, we don't even need to know the result of the movement. We just say, yes, sir. The answer to the question is yes. Before we know what the question is, that is what it means to give your life to him. Have you given your life to him with just a few qualifications? As long as he does for you what you think ought to be done. Church, then you still own your life. Nishan risked his life up to the ankle, up to the knee, up to the waist, up to the chest, and right up to the very nostrils that God first breathed life into. He loved not his life so much as to shrink back from the water, so the water fled from him. Oh, the water fled from him. Verse 5 asks such an amazing question. Why was it, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back? Do you notice it wasn't one time? It was the sea and the river. And the question is why? The answer is verse 7. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. See, the psalmist makes the point that when you act a certain way on the earth, the heavens 
act a certain way on the earth. In Psalm 85, 11, he says, Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. When you act in faith, heaven answers in righteousness. Oh, come on, say, I will be faithful. I don't want to stand and drown in the water that was supposed to flee from me. The Jewish writers believe in a much more practical faith than we do. I know many of you don't like that I quote Jewish writers the way that I do. Let me quote one that you should be familiar with. James, a Jewish writer. His name was not actually James. A wicked king of England named King James gave him the name James. His name was actually Yaakov. He was Jewish, y'all. Shalom, y'all. James 2.18. Let's read it. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by By what I do, did James believe in an activated faith? This is a practical faith that is meant to change the world, not an internal, dormant faith that is meant only to lull you to sleep. The question before us is not why did the waters part? That is not the question. The ancient Jewish writers, they pondered this. And this is not the question they asked. The question that they asked was not why did the waters part, but why did the waters wait until Nashan performed his act of brinksmanship? In other words, the question was not why did the waters split, but why did the water wait on Nashan before it split? The waters were waiting for the believers to express their faith through action. It was not enough that the Jews believed The sea demanded an external demonstration of their faith. In other words, the waters would not flee until they saw a faith that did something. And then they ran from that kind of faith. But a faith that does nothing is dead, even while it claims to be alive. And nobody has to run from a dead man. Oh, church... Do you want the kind of faith that the seas run from? Oh, you can't drown me. The water won't obey you. You can't burn me. The fire will not listen to you. You cannot cut me to pieces. All things are held together in Christ. You can do nothing to me except what the Spirit of my Father allows you to do. And that I embrace with all of my heart. That I want. It is the furnace that puts steel in my spiritual spine. God is not satisfied with concealed inner faith. He challenges us to fan flames of smoldering faith. Silent faith is a dead faith. Silent faith is dormant. It cannot impact the physical world unless it is physically expressed. Oh, you need to think on this for a minute, saint. You're awful quiet. You cannot affect the physical world with a faith that does not show up physically. Oh, that the church could learn this. 
This is why the waters waited. They waited for our ancestor to give physical expression to his faith. When Nishan sallied forth and expressed his faith, then the nation carried victory to the other side of the obstacle. Physical expression to your faith is an activated faith. When you are trapped between the devil and the deep blue sea, your faith says, how dare you trap me between the devil and the sea? I stand between the cherubim of the Most High. I am on the mercy seat. You cannot trap me, devil. I stand hidden in Christ. And when the ark enters the waters, what do the waters do? Flee. It's not that you are scary. It's that the God that you stand with is the alpha predator of the spiritual world. If you stand hidden in him, then nothing overcomes you ever. But if you will not move when his glory moves, then let's be honest. You do not stand in him. Why are you crying out to me, Moses? Tell the people to move on. When they moved on, Moses' prayer was answered immediately. Do you stand in the house of God today praying, but you need to move? 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. For this reason, you can listen to me. It's okay. I rarely lie when I preach, and I'm not going to do it today. For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. The king of the universe tells you something. You have a measure of faith deposited in you. The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you. If you belong to him, if the spirit is not in you, you don't belong to him. But you have to fan that into a fervor. You have to heat the furnace to activate your faith. Maybe you got it up to 800 degrees. Let me tell you, it's not enough. Oh, come on, saints, it's not enough. You think you feel the heat now while you sit on your padded chair. It's not enough. That's not dead rising faith. But when that thing tops over 16, 17, 1800 degrees, you will find layers of your flesh stripped off you that increases your spiritual footprint. You will start to bring life where only death had existed before. You find out that there was always a giant spiritual Christ inside of you waiting to be liberated from your carnal character. Oh man, do you want to activate your faith? When we say we want to activate our faith, we have to know something. When you look at a verse like Acts 21, 14, put it on the screen and do not turn there. I want you to hear this. this, this I, we can't miss these things. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. Oh, church, what was the circumstance of this passage? Agabus has come and he said, hey, the one who owns this belt is going to be mistreated. He's going to be handed over and imprisoned. Luke, 
Silas, Timothy, all stand and try to tell Paul, don't you go, don't do it. If Paul looks forward, he's looking forward to imprisonment. If he looks backwards, there's his friends telling him, don't go. He was trapped between the devil and the deep blue sea, but this time the devil was manifest in his very own friends. Are you discouraged by your friends? Advice to the point of paralysis. Your friends didn't die for you. You're going to have to move on. And do you know what? When they see that you can't be dissuaded, they might just give up and go with you. I used to tell people, if you're not going to help me, get out of my way. Now I just tell them, lay down in advance so I can run you over. Maybe I'll drag you with me until you want to come along. We've been preaching like this since there were five people in a garage. An activated faith is a faith that changes the world. An inactive faith is one that is a discredit to the king that we serve. You might need to remember Nehemiah 6. 10 through 11. We're going to put it on the screen. We're nearing the end of this message, but I better not be at the end of your attention span. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Metabel, who was shut in at his home. Oh, I cannot stand shut-ins. I don't mean a shut-in that is an old lady that can no longer leave her house. On her, I have mercy. I'm talking about the man that hides in a hole his entire life. Won't come out. He's got an inactive faith. He's scared of everything. And the only thing that he's convicted by is your presence. And he wants you to be a scared shut-in just like him. Metabel, who was shut in at his home, he said, let us meet in the house of God. That's like, hey man, why move on? Let's just pray, you know. It sounds so spiritual. We're going to meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should one like me go into the temple to save his life, I will not go. Oh man, the shut-ins have produced churches of shut-ins. They hide in the house of and ask the bravest of all questions. Where you go on your mission trip, is it safe? Well, no, you pansy Christian, it's not safe. If it was safe, we wouldn't be going. We'd let you go, you candied apple powder puff, powerless saint. Of course it's not safe. Who told the Christian that you had to hide in the house of God because somebody might kill you? They killed our king in a public place. Why do you want to die inside the house of God? Nehemiah was trapped between the devil and the deep blue sea. If he goes out, they're going to kill him. If he stays in, he's already with a living corpse. I've never been more surprised than to watch Christians that know that they're in a dead church come and say, man, I've never seen anything like what y'all have. Well, amen. Come join us. It'd be a lot easier if we had some people helping us. Come on. 
Oh, well, see, I got a position in the church that I'm in. Among the corpses? What kind of position is that? You're the undertaker? You're the mortician? What is it you do? Or do you just do their hair to make the corpses look better? What is it that you do? Let the dead bury the dead. I'm not a shut-in. I can't be made a shut-in. You should never be a shut-in. We have an activated faith. I want to change the world because that's what Christ died for. I, do you want to change the world, saints? You can't do it hiding in a church. You'll never do it as a shut-in with a barred door protecting your life. Probably, maybe, at this point in the message, I think it will be the last scripture. I said I rarely lie when I preach. I didn't say it never happened, but I did not plan to do it tonight. Turn with me to Revelation 20. When you've discovered the 20th chapter, like Columbus, land on the 11th verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. (laughs) It had run. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. I started in verse 1. I was supposed to read verse 11, but I'm pretty happy. And I'm in the wrong chapter, but you won't mind. We might as well finish this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Do you want to be the bride? Then you need to know how we're going to be judged. Which is in chapter 20 and verse 11. (laughs) Then I saw a great white shark. Nope. We're scared of so many things. People have a mortal fear of sharks, of crocodiles. My wife once ran me over like a linebacker because there was a spider in a bathroom in India. Like, my God, you should have seen the ones that were in Honduras. They could run you over and look like, like linebackers. The one thing you really ought to think about is not the great white shark. It's the great white throne. Because him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence. The creation cannot stand up to the creator. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done. Again, we see the manifest presence of God. The enemies fleeing. And what are you to be judged by? Whether or not your activated faith produced the right movement. We will stand before our king when the earth and sky flee from him and give an account. The accounting will be based on an activated faith that expressed itself in a physical world. We are without excuse. If we manifest the divine presence through our activated faith, our enemies will flee and we will be clothed 
in righteousness like that bride for an eternity. What do you want to wear for an eternity? When we began this church, we had all kind of clever sayings because we had time to sit around and think of clever sayings. <clears throat> we said, when you pray for rain, carry an umbrella. When you want a baby, buy baby clothes. I will show you my faith by what I do. Less talk, more walk. Perform out there what you practiced in here. We were trying to set an atmosphere that was like a furnace that would ignite a dormant Christianity into something that would give life-giving water, the wind of the Spirit, and life from the dead. I want to leave you with a single thought, and it really is our last scripture. It's Revelation 14. I didn't even change books. You cannot be upset with that. But let's be honest, you know me, I wouldn't care if you were upset. Verse 12, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. I've preached my heart out about how to activate your faith. And at the end of the day, no one can raise their staff and split the sea until you move. There is no prayer cloth for 1999. No televangelist that can steal your estate and promise you that he can do this for you. The truth is, is the kingdom was founded on a singular principle that every man, Every woman in this room has the right to hear from God and the obligation to act when you do. You save your marriage by acting on your trust in Jesus Christ. You raise your children in holiness, faith, and propriety by acting on your faith and moving accordingly. You must act. So we've come to that place now in the message where you have to decide how you act. You could say, you know, I'll think about it. I'll get to it tomorrow. How has that been working for you up to That's this right. point? Right. It never fails to amaze me. The number of people that will sit in my office or I'm sitting in their living room and they hear the truth, acknowledge the truth, and decide that they will act on it at some later point. You know, I'm a changed man for a lot of reasons. Most of it is I have been activated from heaven. Amen. But there is another motivator. I stood just a few months ago, said these very same things to my dying father. Still completely lucid, clever, smarter drunk than I ever was sober. And he looked me right in the eye and said, maybe tomorrow and died 118 minutes from that moment. Oh, if you could hear his voice today, you know what he would say? Move. Would you stand to your feet?